Welcome to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. In this podcast, we talk with business owners, exit advisors, and a host of others to help you not just exit your business, but execute an elite exit by maximizing transaction value on your terms and without regret. Let's get right to it. Welcome back to part three of my conversation with TD Smyers. We pick up our conversation discussing the challenges of placing the wrong leader in your company. TD, in the first two segments, we've talked about two different things. One is thriving company leadership. So what is that? It's the art of enhancement. It's bringing a leader into an already thriving company and presenting them and preparing them for this next step. The second situation in the second segment, we talked about turnaround leadership and the challenge of transformation and all of the issues that are associated with that. So now I have a question for you. What if we hire the wrong person? What are the potential problems that can occur if a leader with a turnaround mindset comes into a healthy, thriving company? Yeah. So the situation you're describing now of mission mismatch, right? Mission mismatch. It's kind of hard to say, isn't it? But it's a situation where you bring in, like you said, a leader who's break glass, at least some score shirts, who's got more of an urgency to their change management style into a situation that doesn't require it. Or vice versa. You've got a declining organization and you're going to bring somebody in whose hand at the tiller is a little too light or quite a bit too light than what's necessary to turn the organization around and achieve success. I would say that there, there are two things that we always read about when we read these stories of chief executives who are fired for their positions. And two things precipitate this. The first is character flaws, right? Somebody makes a mistake, they commit fraud, they have an inappropriate relationship, something like that prevents them from succeeding in the role. I think the second thing is mission mismatch. They, it's the wrong leader for the job that needs to be done. And as we touched on earlier, there are two elements of it. One is picking the right leader to lead the management team, finding the right chief executive that's got the right attributes and the right attitude to to be aligned with what needs to happen with the company for sustained success. But the other element is clarity. You can choose the right person and give them the wrong mission because it's not communicated appropriately to them by the departing founder or entrepreneur. So two elements of that, right? Because it's mission mismatch. There's, is the leader the appropriate leader? And have we communicated to that leader with clarity what their mission is and what they need to do with the company? So if the board or the founder or the whatever body is holding that chief executive accountable communicates with clarity what the expectations are for that chief executive, then that's awesome. You've got that part tech checked off. And then you got to make sure you have chosen the leader with the right attributes to move forward. And we talked a little bit about how to achieve that, but I think your question is more around, you know, what happens when you have mismatched that? And it's, of course, in both situations, it's disaster. (laughs) You've got this, (laughs) you've got this humming operation. You've got this company that was born out of a brilliant idea. The brilliant idea was empowered by finding the right vendors and suppliers and partners and this great scrappy team together that's cobbled this methodology and these processes. And the culture is one of, we've conquered Goliath. We're the giant slayers in this industry. And you've got this real healthy springboard Uh, and you bring somebody in who's heavy handed at change instantaneously, that person is going to almost surely off put the rest of that team. 
and begin what will be a rapid erosion of confidence and of culture and put into question all of those processes that have been the result of their success up to this point. Right. So that's what can happen in the first part of the scenario. And then, of course, in the second part of the scenario, the problem is if you view the organization as a plane that's rapidly losing altitude, you impact terra firma <laughs> because yeah. the individual is not making the changes necessary. And I, as I mentioned before, most of the situations I've been in were the latter, where I was put in an organization that I needed to do something quickly to avoid us having to shutter the building, close down. And in those situations, it was always, man, okay, let's get after this. Um, but it was still participatory. It wasn't dictatorial. Again, you, we've talked about the importance of that. But if I had gone in there and not waded in to find the expertise and brought the expertise forward and rewarded them and captured the good parts of that legacy and culture that organization still had, I view that as if you've got to raise a building and rebuild it, if it was built on a solid foundation, you can do that. You can wipe out the first couple of stories and you can rebuild that thing into a nice home or a nice office space. But being able to pull forward that foundation is important. If you don't move quickly to capture that foundation, then what are those people that represent that foundation going to do when they see the organization going under? They're going to leave. Yep. Right. So the risk there, if you're the wrong person and you have too gentle of a transition to touch, is you're going to lose the very people that you could build the foundation on for the recovery. Yep. That's a yeah, big I agree. Point. And really, maybe this scenario is about the owner identifying early that they've got a problem and identifying some of the things that they're that the new leader is doing as they come into play. They're mismatched with what they should go into. So you may see a, somebody come in and you're doing okay, um, but maybe the new leader's focus becomes this prioritization of cost cutting, for example. So it's never bad to be able to take cost out of the p and <laughs> as long as that cost is not contributing to income, revenue, bottom line, margin. I talk often about a cost complacency creep over time, you know, businesses that over time have become kind of bloated because just of complacency in P&L management. But one thing that you may see with a leader in this scenario is that they come in and their first priority is to cut cost. Yeah. Now, and now just, let me just say one last thing here, because we haven't really put this subtext in yet, but what is the motivation of that new leader when they come in? Who do they really answer to? And what's the setup for that? So um, we're going to take a kind of just a curve here for a second before we go into this attribute conversation. But if you are a owner that has private equity backing, right, or some other financial backing that is not your, and you get pressure from that other contributor of capital to your business to show a better financial performance. Maybe you, maybe your margin is 10 or 12% and your company is doing just fine at 10 or 12%. But that other capital provider has a business model that requires 20% margin. Okay. And together you and that other a capital partner get together and you decide that you're going to put in some new leadership 
so that we can over time create a more profitable business, right? That motivation of the new leader that is selected has to be a shared motivation for both sets of capital providers, you as the legacy owner and this new capital provider. It cannot be a scenario where you as owner are becoming trapped by this other capital provider and they're making decisions on who the new leadership's going to be and how that leadership is going to be motivated to carry forward. Do you see that, that a lot? Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. The Sarah makes sense to me. Do you see that a lot where you've got this kind of uh, breakdown between maybe what the founder's kind of expectations of this manager are, and then you've got a capital partner who, for whatever reason, came in with a different set of expectations on their return on the investment? A hundred percent. I see it all the time. Yeah. And I think that's one of the three big questions that I have when I talk with owners is, who are you going to sell it to? What types of buyers are out there? You have many financial buyers out there that, that want to come in and work with you. And you ultimately will be working with them post-transaction. And your company may not look the same as it did before you did this transaction with this other capital partner. And that's because the other capital partner has different motivations than you do. Yeah, they're building something for the future that you're going to be part of, but is different to them. And you have to understand that going in. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. And I can see, again, just from my perspective, because my experience lies in that leadership management side of the house, not necessarily in the capital, cap, the company's capital structure. But if I'm that leader and I don't have clarity on what's expected of me because the ownership, however that's constructed, isn't clear or isn't together on what that's going to be. That's a really tough situation for me to respond to. And I would suggest that there would need to be some clarity among the ownership about what we're expecting to produce here, even if it's temporary, you know, even if it's phased, so that, that me as the chief executive can go in and start making some smart decisions in terms of cost on one part of the P&L scale, right? We talk about profit, but we can also, I think we started this conversation talking about cost control. And if cost is tied to capability, you've really got to make smart decisions about that. Pretty much everybody goes in and tries to clean up cost in terms of waste, right? These are costs that aren't producing anything for us. These are things we're going to cut, but this is marketing that hasn't produced a single new customer for us or hasn't expanded our market base, our market share. Um, I, but I think a lot of times you can really do smart cost reductions that result in advances in capability. And this is where the smart executive comes in and leverages technology and the changes and the very fast pace of growth of technology to make decisions today that couldn't be made 15 years ago, 10 years ago. I remember one example. I had a capability. It was a dispatch capability. And that capability was very costly to maintain organic within the organization. But when we started to look at what technology brought us in terms of being able to understand local dispatch sitting in a different location, we were able to combine with another market and use a centralized source where now it costs us each half. And because that capability was staffed so much better, instead of having 12 to 18 hour coverage on the distribution, we had 24 hour coverage seven days a week. Yeah. Now, so we actually enhanced the capability we gave a better deliverable to our customer and we reduced cost by half. So Yeah, so that is a great example 
And let's extrapolate this a little further for a second. So you recognized this opportunity to cut cost and improve capability. Did you do that in isolation as a leader? Did you? I did it out of necessity, Mike. It was, hey, we, the P&L wasn't working. We we were losing, you know, we, at this point, we had been in a negative revenue on the revenue side. We'd been in a revenue decline for almost 12 years. That's, it's amazing. The organization was still solvent. So it was out of necessity. And 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 to, I guess where you're going with that, let me find out where you're going with that. What was the question in terms of, did I do it in a vacuum or did I do it independently? So actually you partially answered the question because you, the, uh, the organization that you were in was a turnaround organization. Right. Right. Earlier in the first two segments, we talked about sometimes it's easier to make decisions in a turnaround situation than it is in a healthy company situation. In your scenario, you recognized it. You could quickly implement a change that positively impacted the bottom line. Yeah. Now, let's take that scenario and turn it into the same scenario that you would recognize in a healthy company right? In a healthy company, you may attack that and say, this is an important way for us to go ahead and add 300 basis points to the bottom line of the company. Contrast how you executed that in the turnaround scenario versus how you would have approached it in a healthy company scenario. That is a great question and a great scenario because the primary difference between those two scenarios is urgency, right? In the failing organization, this delta it's causing us to to fail, uh, perhaps catastrophic. So the urgency begets a much higher risk tolerance by the shareholders. Okay, I understand this is going to result in a 30% reduction in force. Okay, I understand this is going to remove control of this asset locally and put it regionally. These are all things that on the, if this were happening in a company that was successful and I was just trying to reap cost savings, they would be viewed much more critically and would have to take place probably much slower in some kind of phased approach. So the urgency allowed me to make that change quickly and rapidly, and f- the vast majority of the organization accepted it and understood it. If I were making that just to tweak the PL or to you know, recover some basis points and never was happening other than survival of the company over here on the successful organization side, then it would have had to happen much slower. And it would have taken me a lot more work to build a collaborative understanding and collaborative ownership of this process. Because, I mean, when you do something like that, there are almost always losers in that situation, right? And the company is going to gain because we're going to spend less. And by the way, remember, it wasn't just cost savings. It was also growth and capability. We delivered, we had a better distribution model for delivery to our clients. It was nice. It worked out really well. But were there people who had to find something else to do because they were tied to that local? The answer to that is yes. And from a human resources perspective, from a company culture perspective, those things would have had to have been phased over in much more time than it took to do it for the failing company. Yeah. And so this gets back to that leadership mindset mismatch, right? Yeah. If the key element, which you called the was a sense of urgency for implementation of the program is not recognized by or mismatched with the leader in either scenario, right? Either on the failing company or on the healthy company side, 
then that decision can have wide ranging problems, right? Yep. I mean, on, sec on orders of magnitude as you go down the stream. So I think that as an owner, you can't abdicate your role in the company. You want to allow your new leader to be accountable, be responsible, and have the tools that they need in order to run the company. But you also can't abdicate the fact that you own the company. Yeah. Ultimately, this impacts your pocketbook as you do your transition or your transaction over time. Remember that, again, that elite exit, those three key things are maximizing transaction value on your terms without regretting it. And if you go through a scenario with one of these new leaders where, you know, you're pulling teeth, your own teeth over time, you're not going to like that too much, right? You're yeah. probably going to regret the fact that you sold your company. So the idea here is to make this transition period as easy and seamless as possible, as deliberate as possible, and really using elite preparation versus just winging it and trying to push the easy button in the transaction. Yeah, the scary nature of those two scenarios that you just drew really highlights the necessity to seek some help with this process. And, to, and again, I, I want to send people back to EliteExit.com. And uh, it, it, I don't know why it's embedded in my brain, Mike. When you talk about the management piece, I just keep thinking of it as the M and the I'm good checklist and the, the necessity to bring that in, to work that into the transition budget. Uh, just like we talked about bringing a coach on to help your new chief executive get a good start. That's a, that's just a smart purchase. That is a smart uh, direction to go because the catastrophic results from getting it wrong could set you back to zero. And if you're trying to set up an elite exit, to your point, on your schedule, then a setback puts all that in jeopardy. Yep. Yep. Listen, TD, I appreciate you coming on and- hey, man. You know, offering all your wisdom and sea <laughs> stories from the past. That's always wonderful. Next time we'll do it with a drink in our hand for sure. That would, uh, that would definitely make it more lucid and probably entertaining and informational as well. Oh, yeah. We could tell some sea stories <laughs> together, couldn't we? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, man. It's always great to be on with you. And thanks for the opportunity. Now, listen, again, give me your website is? Sure. The company is A Bold Leader, and the website is aboldleader.com. And it's got information there in terms of scheduling an appointment. If you're thinking about coaching at all, you can click the button on there for a virtual coffee. It's a half hour session to get on there and just talk about what that looks like, uh, what kind of investment it means for you in terms of time and other resources, finance. And we can do that with zero pressure, with zero sales pitch. It's just an exploratory call. It's a good chance to get to know each other and pulse your situation to see if coaching can be something that can help. Yeah. And just for the listeners out there, I bring on advisors and people that are experts in their field. And all of these experts contribute to your ability to create an elite exit from your business. TD is one of those folks I wholeheartedly recommend. And first of all, he's a really smart guy, but his approach is also an approach that is really no nonsense. He's going to help you. He's going to be your accountability partner. He is going to be a guy that is going to make you think and answer hard questions of yourself and your management team and, and really help you move your company forward. Edie, I appreciate your friendship over the years and the ability to work with you on, on clients and help people 
really achieve this last great business deal, right? This last great deal that they have before they ride off into the sunset I, and you're a big part of it. I'm really looking forward to it, man. It's a great capstone for anybody to look at and consider. So I'm happy to be part of this. Thank you, man. All right, super. All right, everybody, EliteExit.com, go there. There's also going to be in the show notes, there's going to be some special notes about some of the things that TD and I talked about today. Go ahead and sign up and pre-register for the members-only site that is on EliteExit.com. That will be coming available at the end of the first quarter. We're in the process of putting some special information in there. The kind of things that you'll find in the membership site include amplified information from the podcast. There'll be checklists, there'll be white papers, there's action items that you can take from each of the podcasts and implement inside your company. And then you'll also find some short courses that are very um, targeted towards individual things that we might talk on the podcast or individual elements of the Get checklist. Eventually on EliteExit.com, the Business Owner Transition Academy courses will be housed in EliteExit.com, so you'll be able to have access to those there. And then if you need one-on-one coaching for your Elite Exit, you can have access to me or some of my other coaches on the coaching platform. So, TD, thanks a lot. We appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Later.